welcome back to Let's Talk About Today with Arvin. Uh, today on the show, I am very, very excited to have a very esteemed guest. Uh, she is the deputy leader of the Ontario NDP um, and someone who I frankly look up to. She's pretty awesome. Uh, the Honorable Sarah Singh. Sarah, how's it going? Oh, thank you so much, Arvin. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on today. No, I mean, thank you so much for coming on. I mean, uh, you are really an inspiration to so many young people in politics and, you know, young people of color. Um, so as I mentioned, you know, you are the deputy leader of the NDP, and that is a very um, big role. And, and you, you know, you've uh, played a big role in uh, holding the Ford government to account in the past couple of months, in the past couple of years, especially uh, during this pandemic. And, you know, you're also very well educated and, uh, it's just so fantastic that we have someone in the legislature uh, just like you. Um, so, um, Sarah, you you have a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science, a Master's Degree in International Development. Is that correct? That is, yes. And you're currently pursuing your PhD. Is that also correct? And that is. I'm, I'm in the final all but defended stage. And so hopefully uh, this semester I'll be wrapping up. But thank you so much for all those kind words, Arvin. I just want to thank you for, for um, you know, the encouragement. And, you know, I'm uh, so privileged to serve our community. And one of the reasons I did get into politics was so that we could change the face of politics and so that we could encourage other young people to know that their voices mattered. Uh, so thank you so much for just letting me know that we're having an impact and, and that that message is reaching young people like you. Definitely. I mean, as I said, you are really an inspiration and, you know, you're pursuing your PhD while um, holding such a, you know, big role in, uh, uh, you know, in the Ontario politics, uh, you know, sphere. So uh, with with all that's going on, what initially like inspired you to want to like study politics or just like get interested in it? So for me, studying politics was more about understanding the processes of social change and how we were able to come about achieving that social change in our communities. Um, I actually never thought I was going to be a politician. Uh, when I started my educational path, uh, I thought I was going to be a criminal defense lawyer. Um, but, uh, you know, as sometimes uh, ha has happens for many of us, you know, you sort of get into uh, whatever you thought you wanted to do and realize that might not be for you. Um, and through those educational experiences, experiences and some of the volunteer work that I was doing, uh, I was actually encouraged to consider a career in politics. Um, so it wasn't as though, you know, because I studied political science, I'd hope to become a politician one day. Not at all. For me, it was really about understanding how to make change happen in our communities um, and, uh, you know, understanding the avenues we were supposed to explore. Um, and then again, because I started doing this work at a grassroots level, um, I saw that it wasn't just about, um, you know, fighting from the outside that we really maybe needed to have a seat at the table uh, in order to have our voices heard and create that change. Um, and that's actually what ended up inspiring me to put my name on the ballot in 2018. That's fantastic. Wow. And um, I was reading up, you know, more about you in detail. And I saw that you also um, were, you know, in participation or founding a like a group that was um, uh, sort of inspiring youth to get involved with social change. I was wondering if you could tell me more about that. I found that really interesting. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in 2012, uh, along with my sisters, uh, we co-founded an organization called Broadening Horizon, and we are doing, it's still operational, uh, arts-based social justice education. Um, we started in the Brampton and Peel area, but we operate across Ontario. And we use art and creative expression as a, a tool to engage in those conversations around social justice. One of our biggest projects is The Power of One, um, where we break down um, different forms of discrimination through art, and we talk about how we can change um, the language that we're using um, around discrimination and empower people to think differently about how they're engaging with other people in the community. Um, and it's been a, a true uh, treat to be able to do that work. It actually informs some of the work that I do now as well, having been able to connect with our community, connect with young people, mobilize them, uh, address those concerns that they have um, through uh, proactive tools like art uh, and creative expression. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a very different avenue for social change. Um, and so, yeah, that, that really feeds into some of the work that I do now uh, and I really enjoy it and I'm still uh, involved uh, where I can be it's sometimes a little hard um, but Broadening Horizons is still um, operational offering programs and uh, COVID related events as well are still happening. That's fantastic that's really cool um, so you know you you had all you know all this experience before you have this interest in politics um, and as you said it really did push you to want to put your name on the ballot in uh, 2018, um, what would you say was like the main factor? Because like the 2018 election is definitely um, an interesting election if we look in Ontario's history, especially with what's going on right now. What was like, I guess, a main motivator for you to want to run in that election? Well, you know, I think it was uh, just uh, some of the timing for me, but uh, in 2018, I, I decided that uh, it was the right time for me to consider, um, you know, putting my name on the ballot. Uh, we'd really seen hallway medicine, hallway healthcare uh, reaching a, a critical tipping point, I think, in, in those years. Um, and, and that's what motivated me. Um, in 2017, I actually uh, lost my older brother to cancer. Um, and so having gone through that experience as a family, I saw firsthand uh, many of the cracks that we knew existed in the healthcare system, but we experienced that directly as a family as well. Um, and so despite um, some, you know, pretty difficult times, um, I thought it was uh, the right time. And um, I know before my brother passed, he had encouraged me to consider this and I had to carry that torch forward. Um, there were certainly some days where I thought maybe uh, I should wait for, for the next election, um, but I know that his spirit was with me uh, through that whole process. Um, and I, I'm glad that I did um, because, you know, we wanted to build uh, the groundwork that was needed uh, for new Democrats in Branson Center. And I'm grateful that we were able to do that work and that, uh, you know, not only did we win, but uh, I think we had a historic win. Um, you know, it was the first time uh, that that Branson Center provincial riding uh, w existed. Uh, it was a brand new riding, so we were able to secure that, um, but also, um, you know, help uh, the new Democratic Party uh, expand its reach within the community. And I think that shows us that people are looking for this change. They're looking for something better, um, and, and they're willing to support people who want to do that work. So I'm so grateful that I did, and, and I'm so thrilled to be here today. Wow, that is a very, very interesting story. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about um, hearing about your brother. And I think it really speaks to your, to your um, strong character that, you know, some people might want to just like give up, but you, you, I guess, use that. And as you said, you carry the torch to uh, move on and do fantastic things. Uh, so that is just, wow, that is a very beautiful story. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, so 
during these past two years, we've seen um, how the Ford government has handled a variety of things. And um, it's been quite unfortunate seeing how uh, Doug Ford, Premier Ford, uh, his leadership has led us uh, into the situation in Ontario with COVID-19. Um, and, you know, you've mentioned healthcare. care. Um, I think a big issue that's on the minds of many Ontarians is uh, the long term care crisis. And I know you've spoken uh, very vocally about, um, you know, the shortcomings uh, on behalf of the Ford government, how they haven't done enough to um, make sure that our seniors are protected, um, that they're, you know, well and safe. I, th- I think like the first part of the pandemic, you know, we it was really important to call them out for um, substantially decreasing the inspections of long-term care homes. And I know um, you, you've spoken a lot about that, uh, but just in the second wave, we were so unprepared and um, you know, we see the rising amount of deaths in long-term care homes and it's just really heartbreaking. So um, do you think you could um, like, you know, share some of your thoughts on that and um, you know, what you've been saying and how you've been holding, you know, the Ford government to account in regards to this? Yeah, thanks so much, Arvin. I think such an important question because, you know, like you point out, uh, you know, during the first wave, I think we all understood there was going to be um, some learning that was going to happen. Um, And so we tried to work as collaboratively as possible with the government in addressing those concerns at that time. Um, But what is really troubling to us is that, you know, since the start of the pandemic in March, um, we're now into 2021, um, many of the the lessons that should have been learned uh, don't seem to have been learned by the Ford government. Um, You know, we don't see uh, the staffing crisis being addressed within our long-term care. We don't see a standard of care being provided for our seniors. Uh, We didn't see those investments being made in a timely uh, manner to help us prepare for the second wave. And now uh, as we, you know, navigate a second state of emergency here in Ontario, uh, those investments that could have prevented some of the outbreaks potentially that we see in our long-term care homes, because they weren't made, we're in the situation that we're in. Uh, So we will continue to call on the Ford government and conservatives to invest in our long-term care system. Uh, But we need to take the profit out of that long-term care system too. I think that's a really important point in this. Not only is it about investing, but it's about making sure that this isn't a profit-driven model that we have in place, that this is really about making sure that care is being allocated uh, to the seniors and the vulnerable people in those long-term care homes, uh, not profits for shareholders. Um, So, you know, I think um, those lessons that we should have learned, the government should have learned um, and acted on, they simply didn't. Uh, We also saw the Auditor General's report. So uh, indicate very clearly where those shortcomings were, um, not only with this conservative government, but with the previous liberal administration after we battled SARS, the investments that were needed uh, within in our systems were not made at that time. Um, so when you have both of those uh, sort of administrations, the Liberals and the Conservatives failing to make those investments for years and years and years, we get the situation that we're currently facing right now, which is systems in crisis. Well, definitely, you know, lots of things well said, and I think it speaks uh, pretty loudly. Um, I have this quote from you. You said the government chooses not to act in a timely fashion, and we see them scrambling at the last minute. It's costing people their lives. You know, it's very well said with um, what's happening right now in the second wave. I mean, in the wake of the second wave, we saw the Ford government was sitting on $12 billion of federal COVID support uh, that was, you know, uh, intended for investing in, you know, long-term care and a variety of other things to protect Ontarians. Um, so it is very heartbreaking to see what's been going on. I mean, um, you know, over 3,000 deaths, uh, majority of the deaths we see from COVID-19 are mostly seniors and especially those in long-term care. 
Um, but, you know, with also a variety of things with this unclear uh, second lockdown that we're in, you know, things aren't very clear. Ontarians don't know exactly what's going on. Um, we are still seeing many, many cases on a daily basis being increased. Um, and there are also a lot of uh, vaccine shortages that we are very concerned about because we need to get those vaccines out and hopefully put an end to this crisis. But what is um, one thing that you're sort of like looking forward to or expecting the Ford government to step up uh um, you know, and, and step up to the stage and start taking action on in the next couple of weeks? Um, absolutely. I think, you know, the vaccine is is a really important part of the plan, but that isn't the whole plan. Um, you know, we can't just uh, uh, rely on a vaccine to help us get through the virus. I think we need to see the Ford government step up and make the investments that are needed into, you know, public health policies like paid sick days. Um, you know, when we really talk about what's sort of driving the spread in, in communities like Brampton, it's a large number of essential workers that are still going into work uh, who cannot take time off because they are sick um, and often living in, um, you know, uh, large multi-generational families or in precarious housing situations. So without addressing those root causes that we know are present, uh, we really can't uh, get to the heart of what's causing the spread in, in communities like Brampton. So I think what I would like to see the Ford government do is step up by providing paid sick days, not just relying on a federal program that isn't doing enough for people. I think stepping up and making sure that we have adequate ice isolation centers available. I think we could have been doing that throughout the summer, preparing more effectively for a second wave, which we knew was coming. Uh, so I think ensuring that we have isolation centers available across the province for people who are facing uh, precarious housing situations is a good investment. I also think increasing contact tracing and testing is so important. Um, you know, people can't get tested. Uh, every day I'm hearing about folks facing some barrier or another to getting a test. Um, if they can't get tested because the capacity isn't there, we can't track the, the, the spread of the virus. We can't collect that data that we need to understand what's happening in the province in real time. Um, so those are just three, uh, you know, things that we can be doing. Um, you know, we spoke a little bit about long-term care as well, Arvin, and I think hiring workers, um, paying them fairly, ensuring that they aren't precariously employed with low wages as they take care of our most vulnerable people. These are things that the government has the power to do, especially when they have such a large majority and can literally overnight implement legislation uh, to help us achieve these goals. Um, I think that they should step up to the plate now more than ever to make sure we achieve those things. Definitely, 100%. And, and it, it is um, very upsetting to see that, as you said, like they have a majority, they can do this, um, but they choose particularly not to. And, you know, you mentioned paid sick leave. We saw the premier yesterday say that, um, you know, it's not really a priority for the provincial government to want to implement paid sick leave. You know, let's just leave that up to the federal government to sort of work out. And, you know, we've seen like in the rise of the second wave, you know, every dollar that's being spent on COVID support, you know, 97% of it is um, coming from the federal government. Only 3% is uh, coming from the provincial government. So it's, it's really a choice of, you know, let's just save up money to, I guess, uh, prevent like an economic recession, perhaps, even though we are in an economic recession right now, instead of actually investing in people, making sure that, uh, you know, they have the support they need in this very, very crucial time. And we can, I think that if we contribute to that, we can actually uh, make sure that this crisis doesn't extend on for months and months. Um, so, you know, thank you for what Absolutely. you said. And thank you for Yeah. And thank you so much for your advocacy. And I know you have to go in a couple minutes, but I just want to ask you on a positive note, um, you know, what's something that you're looking forward to in 2021, I guess, you know, vaccines on the horizon. And I, I know it's a dark time for everyone. But um, hopefully, at, by the end of the year, we can expect some good stuff. But what's one thing you're sort of looking forward to? <laughs> 
Well, I'm certainly hoping uh, that we can, um, you know, put a put this virus to an end and, and kind of have some return to normal. I'm looking forward to attending events in person again. I really miss uh, connecting with my community face to face, you know, all things aside. I think that's uh, something that I'm certainly looking forward to. I know many of us are. We're missing those social connections, the ability to connect with our loved ones and our community. So uh, I'm hoping that that silver lining is that, uh, it, you know, we can we can actually do that, but it's been great because we've also been able to find innovative and fun ways to still stay connected um, despite all of the challenges that we're facing. Um, so I think there's that silver lining um, that has come about through the pandemic in terms of some of the innovations, uh, but I'm certainly looking forward to just a return to normal and, and being able to shake people's hands again. Oh man. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I can't, I can't wait to, uh, you know, at least see a couple of folks. I mean, lockdown's pretty tough. So, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in the year. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. You know, I really, really appreciate it. And I definitely love to have you on again in the, you know, in the future as well. Absolutely. It was such a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much. I uh, really appreciated the, the conversation that we had and certainly looking forward to being back again, Arvin. Thank you so much. And thank you for all your hard work as well. All the best. Thanks so much. And thanks to everyone listening. Thanks. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Take care. Bye. Thank you everyone so, so much for listening to this episode. This was really, really awesome and fantastic. If you could, I'd really appreciate if you could hit that subscribe button. We're going to have more awesome episodes on the way. All the best. Stay safe, my friends.